This is the Future of HR podcast, episode five. Being curious about, I think, human nature, being curious about the future of work, using design thinking, using human centricity, putting on your anthropologist hat to understand how people are working, what matters to them, so that you can deliver learning in the flow of work when they need it. Why are skills and experiences more important than a college degree? How is technology transforming the future of learning? Hi, I'm your host, J.P. Elliott, and thank you for listening to the Future of HR podcast, the only podcast whose mission is to inspire the next generation of HR leaders. On each episode, I interview successful HR executives and thought leaders who are reimagining, rethinking, and leading our field into the future. During our candid conversations, you'll learn about their career journeys, their lessons learned along the way, and their insights on how to take our field, and most importantly, your career to the next level. Today, my guest is Molly Nogler, Chief Learning Officer at PepsiCo. Molly's responsible for the learning strategy that equips PepsiCo's workforce of over 300,000 employees to delight consumers around the world. Before joining PepsiCo, Molly was a Senior Associate Dean for Executive Education at Yale School of Management, where she led a team that delivered 70-plus executive development programs a year on such topics as customer insights, global leadership, and managing high-performing teams. Before joining Yale, Molly was Director of Strategic Alliances at UC Berkeley Center for Executive Education, where she worked with corporate clients on customized leadership development programs. In her early career, Molly worked as a copy editor before she pivoted her career and pursued a Master of Public Policy degree from UC Berkeley. In our conversation today, Molly and I are going to discuss her advice on how to make a successful career pivot outside of your industry, how technology is transforming learning and development functions, and why skills and projects, not pedigree or roles, will define the future of HR and much, much more. Molly, welcome to the Future of HR podcast. To get us started, we'd love to know a little bit more about your early career. Yes. So I was a copy editor editing college textbooks on government and politics. And I wanted to get out from behind the scenes, you know, after the fact, after the action, and get more in front of it and be one of the, the players in creating policy and or so, something similar. So I decided to get a master's degree in public policy, and I did that at UC Berkeley. But while I was there, I became less interested, I think, in like traditional government policy and much more interested in higher education hmm. policy. And so I decided to stay at Berkeley and work at the Haas School of Business and what was an HR role with faculty. So helping with retention, recruitment, the tenure process is a a special (laughs) HR process in itself. I bet you have interesting stories from being an HR partner for professors, especially tenured professors. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. That's another podcast though, JP. So, but getting to know the faculty really well helped me transition into executive education at Berkeley because the faculty are the product that you're selling in exec ed. And so understanding their research and their teaching made it very easy for me to talk to clients and executives about what they could expect and what they would get out of coming to a program at Berkeley. That's a really interesting. And so you were working with the professors who really were doing the research on the cutting edge of business and that got you more interested in business as well. Yes, exactly. And helping solve business problems using the research and teaching that is happening at these universities. So their, you know, faculty, their job is to 
push the envelope on the, the newest business practices and really find out what works, right? Like, because without research, you don't know if what you're doing succeeds because of or in spite of a certain action. So they're really, their job is to find the truth. And to be able to bring that into a practical application, like an executive's skill set was mm-hmm. very compelling. That's a great training ground. You're right. So much of today can be a fad, right? Or, it, hey, this sounds like a great idea, but do we know it works? Do we know it adds exactly. value? And how do we measure that in a really objective exactly. way? It's challenging. Exactly. And so from there, that kind of be a great proving ground. But then you decided to leave and join Yale School of Management, where you led and designed over 70 executive development programs each year. Tell us more about that role and how that experience helped prepare you for your role now at PepsiCo. Yes. So that role was overseeing custom programs, customized programs for companies. And I was able to move up the ranks at Yale into the the top role in executive education at the School of Management, where I was able to work with the team and start an open enrollment portfolio. So if you think of customized programs as B2B, right, with the institution of higher ed selling into the institution of the company, open enrollment is B2C, where you're recruiting individuals to come and take a three-day program on negotiations or a five-day program and leadership. And so I learned a lot about managing a P&L, marketing, service, sales, and operations. And I also got really close to the learner and their needs and got to see a lot of the common themes and reasons why people come to a place like Yale, what they're looking for when they get into leadership positions to get to that next level. Tell us some more about the insights, especially around the learners or what the marketplace was looking for. Yeah. So they're, they're benefiting from, like I said, that research perspective where we're bombarded by different theories on any given day about leadership, about communication, marketing, all the different fields. And an airport bookstore alone has a cacophony of different ways to approach being a good leader and leading a business. So it's nice to come and get some the definitive take, right, on, mm-hmm. on what works and what doesn't. And the the content or the the need is very similar for all leaders. And it's really behavioral, right? It's not it's not the hard skills, which I think are much more important earlier in your career. When you become a leader, you're trying to get things done through other people. Mm-hmm. And so people are coming, trying to solve problems. They're not listening enough. They're not communicating well. They're not advocating well. They're looking to develop executive presence and understand how to lead high-performing teams. And so that was really universal across industries, across countries. Naturally, there's some cultural differences, but it was remarkable how health leadership content and development is regardless of your level, country, company, and so forth. We all can absolutely get better. Tell us a little bit more about kind of the programs where you, know, you were you doing some that were custom for organizations and helping them do a full leadership development program. And then some, like you said, were more B2C an executive or someone chooses to go, or maybe they send one or two people or someone on their own chooses to go learn a skill. Talk to me about the differences there and what you were seeing in terms of what was most popular, most impactful. Yeah. So the custom programs are 
all for attendees from one company. So there you're looking to help a group of, say, high potential leaders bond together and really get schooled in the same approach to problems. So I think of this as like a solution for critical mass when you want to change culture or you want to change behavior in a company because an individual will come and get a lot of great ideas, but alone they will go back to the company a changed person to an unchanged work environment and the immune system in that company will reject the new ideas. So as an HR person or an executive, if you want really to shift that big boat of culture, it's best to have a customized program just for your just for your leaders so everyone gets on board together. Now for individuals, that's you know, there's a lot of benefit there for networking. So an open enrollment program is where you come when you're maybe you're looking to change careers, right? And you want to build that skill set to vault yourself into a different industry or a different company and you want to meet like-minded people who could help you who could help you do that and then get some fresh ideas at the same time. You talked about developing culture and having this point of view where everyone's going the same direction, thinking the same way. Did a lot of companies come with, hey, this is our leadership profile, our success profile. Molly, can you match that up for us? Or how does that fit? Or was it coming to say, Yale, teach us, give us the goods here, and we're going to go back and try to put that into play in our company? It was both. We definitely had examples where a company would come with their leadership framework, and they would want us to um, categorize our sessions underneath that framework, right? And for, you know, for the most part, this is another lesson learned about leadership and business is that there's not a lot of differences among the companies. I think feel like they have very different cultures and they have very different approaches to leadership. And I don't think that proves out to be the case. I think we're all looking for people who can listen, who can advocate, who can motivate teams, who can deliver results. And there's a lot, there's different words you can use to say that there's on the margin, different emphases, but I never found that to be like, we got a curveball from a company that was, came showed up with some like Machiavelli's approach to leadership <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> something you've never seen before. You're right. And I think right. that's really interesting because back in my early days in consulting, I had the same realization that companies were more similar than different. Yes. But going back to what we believe, it's hard for sometimes companies. I don't want to believe that we're the same. We want to believe we're different, we're unique. And I think they want to hear that language, even if it's just changing the language of the behaviors. It's really important. Well, it sounds like that was an amazing training ground for you because you really saw up close what great executive development looked like. And that led to your current role as Chief Learning Officer at PepsiCo. And I wonder if you take us back to the moment when you got that call, the process, and how you felt when you said, oh my gosh, I've gotten this role and I've come a long way from being editing copy, not even able to actually write the copy, (laughs) to now I'm the chief learning officer for Pepsi. Yes. So as head of executive education, I was selling into the, the chief learning officer population, right? So as chief learning officer, I'm now the customer that I used to sell to in that old role. So I always knew it would be in the realm of possibility for me to be able to flip over to the other side of that equation. And I thought about that. I was thinking about the next steps in my career. And in fact, I think I benefited from a bit of naivete and in, in not realizing that most people don't make that kind of a switch. Like you either you're in university exec ed or you're in corporate 
exec ed and you don't go back and forth. You know, I didn't appreciate that that's a rare thing to do. So I just went headlong into the interview process with PepsiCo, not really worried about that. And uh, yeah, when I got the offer, I was like thrilled and surprised. And um, I think my parents had a hard time picturing their daughter leaving Yale, which they're like, okay, honey, you've arrived. Good. Just stay there and, and decided to take this other role. But I wanted to get more impact at scale than I was going to get when I was at Yale. And I wanted to serve a more diverse population too. I mean, PepsiCo has, most of our employees are frontline workers Mm -hmm. and plants and in warehouses driving chips and soda and all of our products around. I was excited about that different environment. I think it's a great lesson for folks is to not worry about what the script says, right? right? Going from Yale, which is no slouch, by the way. Yale's yeah. amazing. Yeah, but I mean, going from kind of academia, if you will, to now going to corporate America, where it is really different. But I think, and kudos to Pepsi for having the foresight to think about how you bring a different perspective. Because sometimes we are very narrow in our points of view of who we will select, what experiences they've had, and maybe not understand how applicable that viewpoint really could be when you come to something like a Pepsi. So kudos to you, but also for Pepsi for having that foresight. Tell us more about how you see learning development changing over the past few years, where the field's going, and how that impact is actually scaling. Yeah, I think you're seeing a lot of the same impacts as you're seeing in other parts of life where technology has a much, much bigger role than it used to, especially after COVID. So what COVID did for learning on a positive note is to get us all over the hump of thinking that online learning is subpar right, to in-person learning, or that you can't possibly teach leadership or soft skills, right, in an online environment. And I'm not the person here telling you that in-person learning is over like that. I don't think that's true at all. But I think when you're looking to, as I said before, about customized programs, like get a similar skill set into as many brains and hands as possible, that there's nothing beats the scale you can get doing a class on Zoom, for example, or some other learning platform. I think you're also seeing and learning this trend of mass customization and mass personalization. So we're seeing that, right, as consumers and have been for a long time. But what's, for for my career, for my skill set, for my dreams, for my needs, even in my current role, what's the exact right learning package for me? And technology really supports not only the delivery of that, like, learner experience platforms. You can learn anytime, anywhere, any device. They use AI and machine learning to understand you better and your your learning behavior better and give you content that's relevant. But also the data that we now have on the workforce and being able to target messaging to learners much more specifically, like we know where you are and your background and that sort of thing. And so I think there's more opportunities to personalize and more opportunities to use technology to scale learning and get more impact. I'm wondering, are you seeing with your learning experience platforms at PepsiCo that the learners have increased their appetite for education and for development? Is there more of a pull now versus the push? How are you seeing that shift? That's an interesting question. So I think there's a, we appreciate, like people appreciate that the world is changing fast and skills decay more quickly than they used to. 
I think they want to see the impact of given any given learning program on their current performance and future performance and future job prospects. So I think there's they're asked like the standards have gone up for the relevance and the impact of learning. So I think you're going to be able to see more pull for super highly relevant learning and probably less for just the generic broad brush programs that that we used to offer and as learning professionals in general, I'd say time is a barrier to learning for everyone. So that's where you see this like bite-sized personalized on-demand learning coming. And that's what, that's what technology can deliver too. But honestly, you can't get it short enough, right? We've sort of, we've gotten to the point where it's like, okay, now it's down to a minute. And if you're not seeing the uptake, then it's not because it's too long, right? So you've, we've pulled the lever of length. So the lever that's left is relevance to career. And that's where I think it's very important to know a lot about your learners, know a lot about your workforce and be link your learning portfolio to your strategic workforce planning and your business strategy and the capabilities that the company needs to deliver on that. That's really insightful. I think that relevance piece is critical because you really, you can really go deep on skills now but is it going to help me improve my career? And I want that like right now. We don't want that immediate effect. And so it's probably a challenge for the learning development organizations because some of these skills are getting so specific. Obviously right. tech skills and there's tech platforms that teach Python and different Java and all the different coding languages. And it probably hadn't seen that much maybe in the corporate functions, but it's an opportunity to continue to get deeper, right? And go deeper yeah. and have probably the deeper and more relevant it is the more likelihood it's going to add that value that you're wanting. Exactly. Exactly. It, it, and yeah, go ahead. Yeah, there's the buy the buy versus build equation too for companies. So now there's so many different content libraries out there and providers where for those skills that change really fast, you know, it's no longer such a burden for the company to have to update its own custom content. You can just go to the marketplace and buy what you need and you know that the owner of that content library will be updating it. That's the value proposition that they're selling. Exactly. And that's it's and it's great that we have that option now because you know, a long time ago, people had to try to build all this content. You'd say, well, that'll take six months or a year. Mm-hmm. You know, people would just roll their eyes. Right. But as you're seeing all these different changes in tech is becoming more important, relevancy, micro learning. Now, talk about what are the new skills and capabilities that you think are going to be required to be successful as a learning development team member, someone who's going to be a learning development expert? Yeah, so, some things that aren't changing like the need to know the business cold, right? Because in a company, the job, like learning's job is to support the strategic objectives of the business. So you've got to be able to do that relationship management, that stakeholder management, be a really strong strategic business partner and helping craft learning programs and strategies that support the business. I think what is changing is the need to master a very chaotic and ever-changing learning tech ecosystem and then the broader HR tech ecosystem because there are plenty of platforms that have it all like they have learning modules they have employee data modules they have career management modules talent management modules and how do you decide whether to for example pick like the best in class solutions for each need or do you try to go with a single platform that meets all the needs and there's trade-offs either way and then it's all going to change next year anyway. So being as agile as possible and using the best technology that that you can find by your definition, but then being able to change on a dime and 
use different technology. I think that's super hard for big companies because, you know, integrating systems takes a long time, right? And signing contracts takes a long time. Mm -hmm. So the agility of work processes that go into bringing technology on board is really important. I mean, that sounds really boring, but it's, I think it's actually really, really critical. So staying also just staying on top of the ecosystem, like I said, and using design thinking, using human centricity, putting on your anthropologist hat to understand how people are working, what matters to them so that you can deliver learning in the flow of work when they need it. And now with hybrid work, you know, you've got people at home, you've got people in the office. So being curious about, I think, human nature, being curious about the future of work and learning is just a part of that, that larger picture. Great learners are intellectually curious, but they're also trying to understand where this is going to impact that learner or the business. And the first piece you talked about was interesting too, because it's really the tech stack and it's a it's really a really strategic thing to think about in terms of what are we trying to deliver across this organization to what audience, what technology can do that. So how do you stay up to date? How does your team stay up to date on what's the latest and greatest and what's going to work for your organization? Well, it, it takes a village for sure. So it's not just the learning team. It's all of HR looking at all the different HR tech solutions out there and then talking to each other about could that talent acquisition solution have a learning module that meets our need too? So that's important. We have something called PepsiCo Labs that really, whose job is to look at emerging tech and help bring it into the company as needed. I mean, most, you know, that's a luxury I'm sure most, most companies don't have. So we also, we leverage for HR Josh Burson Academy, and he has a lot of research and programs on the HR tech landscape. Also just talking to venture capitalists. So you don't have to talk to vendor by vendor. You can talk to VCs who know a lot of different vendors and know a lot of the space and sort of download their brain. So there's ways to aggregate it a little bit. But yeah, it's I spend it's a significant part of my time trying to understand the landscape and how it's changing. Yeah, that's great advice, great insight. Let's shift gears a little bit. I'm curious what advice you give to somebody who aspires to be a chief learning officer. Are there certain roles or skills that every chief learning officer should have? I think more chief learning officers are going to be coming from a tech background, honestly, or an operations background that can understand how different technologies can support learning and how to integrate them into your existing tech stack. So I think, you know, people may, who may have worked out in HR operations or in HR IT within other companies would be well-suited to then develop that instructional design and, you know, relationship management and other skills. So I think that the hard skills are actually more growing in importance. So I would, I would learn a lot about the tech ecosystem. I would go to the conferences. Most of them are online now anyway, so it's not a big lift to go and do that. I would also recommend building your network in the leadership development space because every company you know, like I was saying from Yale, that's where you see the biggest need is helping those leaders with their soft skills, quote unquote, and understanding, having a network where you can say like, hey, what's your company doing? Being able to benchmark is important. And also if I have a big network in academia, which now allows me to bring in speakers, find the right case studies, materials for courses, the right approach to influence or the right approach to marketing. So yeah, I think it's your network, it's your tech knowledge and then that curiosity 
about how people are working and, and how they like to learn, I think is important too. You're painting a picture of the new chief learning officer archetype, but you need to know how to do an Addy and do, do design. Yes. yes, That's good. But then it's okay. Now start to think about the business, the technology, where are we going? And probably there's more research on how the technology is being used, right? Because so much data that you can pull out of the systems now of how quickly people watch the video, did they, did they yes. skip? And then maybe even measuring impact. So it's really is shifting, I think, more so. Every area of HR is shifting, but the learning space, I think, is shifting very quickly. Yeah, you're right. And it's producing a lot of data for us to ponder the whys behind. So, you know, if somebody, if we have a live learning program and we send people to breakouts and we have people drop off, right, and not come back to the main session, like, is it, what's behind that? You know, were they, is there a, an inherent preference for more passive consumption of learning? And we should lean into that? Or should we try to change that? And are people, are we not managing our learners' expectations that this is an active environment where we expect them to participate? So there's a difference between listening to a talk and really grappling with content in a practice environment so that you can develop the skill. And um, yeah, I mean, there's, when you're in person, people can't leave. (laughs) (laughs) Right. When you're online and they have the choice and they do, then that's something to approach with a lot of curiosity and analytical skill. Yeah, I love that you're really being customer focused, really thinking about the impact. We talked about this in the beginning, actually. You talked, and you said yourself, you have a non-traditional background to be your traditional chief learning officer, if that even exists. So what would you say to someone who feels like, I've got a non-traditional background today, and it's potentially slowing down my career? How do I overcome that if they maybe want to make the shift that you've made? So if you're looking to make a move that, you know, would right that like kind of get out of your lane and get into something new a a few pieces of advice one your network is going to be very helpful because if you just drop a resume in you're not going to probably get through the filter that's a traditional filter so you have to have people make introductions for you and advocate for you if you're a non-traditional candidate the second is that you always want to focus on your transferable skills and give examples of how a skill that you used in environment A is is in fact transferable to environment B. People don't just count on people to figure out that that skill can be applicable in the new environment. And then I think you should just explicitly address the concerns and the risks that if you make it to that interview, say you may be concerned that I don't have this experience or that I might not be able to deliver this and I have ideas for how to mitigate that, for example. So just being straight up about how you would approach your own deficits and that you have a plan to do that, to like upskill yourself or surround yourself with people who are good at those things today so that you're working as a team and you're able to, to deliver until you, you have the skill yourself. I think would reassure people that you're realistic about yourself as a candidate and that you also have a plan for getting better. And I think finally, one, one good thing about the way work is changing is becoming more project-based and less narrowly permanent role-based. So there's talent marketplaces now exist in more and more companies where you're able to staff projects at scale, right? So you have, you can post the project in the marketplace and people with, with the right skills can apply and work on it without having to change their job. You keep your day job and you get to work on the new project. So that's, I think, a huge bonus where you want to explore a different 
career, you want to explore a different job and you can do it via a project, get to know the people, try it out. They get to know you, you get to know them. And then you're really de-risking yourself on both sides. That's terrific advice, Molly. Really good advice. Let's shift. I want to talk to more about developing leaders because you have seen what works and what doesn't. And every organization wants to have great leaders. My experience, there are a few companies that really do this well. I know Pepsi is, of course, one of those academy companies that really just produces tons of great leaders, really because they put that investment into it. But in your experience, what should organizations be doing to develop leaders? How do they approach leadership development? What's the right way to do that? I think you should know that there you have a lot of levers at your disposal beyond a formal course, right? So you have projects, like I was just saying, I think that developing on the job in real work situations with some mentorship and an understanding that the person's kind of coming in new and learning is very powerful. I think organizations should take a leader as teacher approach where they're asking existing leaders to develop future leaders. And that's part of their job. It's important for the longevity of the company and the success of the company. And nothing crystallizes your thinking and cements an idea in your mind, like having to teach it to somebody else. So it's a way of internalizing leadership content to have to teach it to others. So it's, you get two for the price of one on that. It's also just so rewarding, I think, to teach others. And it's a way that you can give your leaders an opportunity to give back and just spend time in a different way during the day outside of their day to day. And I think just keep looking at your leadership framework, how it needs to evolve. I mean, some things are just age old that need to listen to communicate, to advocate. I think companies are now starting to look more at systems thinking too, and how an action in one area ripples out into many others and the need to break down functional silos and think end to end. So I'm seeing that as an emerging area. It's not that it wasn't important before, but it's just, I think, even more necessary where you have industries colliding and boundaries coming down all over the place to understand how decisions in one area affect others is super important. Last question for you. What is the one word or phrase that you believe will define the future of HR over the next five to 10 years? Skills and projects, not pedigree and roles. So the key to agility is knowing everyone's skills and being able to staff them to work without being hamstrung by they have a college degree or they don't have a college degree or they have a hundred years of experience or they only have 50 years of experience. Like we're moving toward an appreciation of skills as a qualifier for work. And we now have the technologies to surface those skills and to staff people to work in more efficient ways through these talent marketplaces. And it's huge for agility. It's huge for equity. I think that's going to be a game changer as well. Molly, thank you so much for being on the Future of HR podcast. Thank you for having me, JP. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Future of HR podcast. Thanks again to Molly Nogler for sharing her career journey and her perspectives on the future of learning. As always, you can go to thefutureofhr.com to view all of our past episodes and learn more about our mission to inspire the next generation of HR leaders. We'll be back next week with Angela Lane, Vice President, Global Talent at AbbVie and co-author of Fair Talk. 
In our conversation, Angela will share her career edge model and how to leverage it for success, how to manage your reputation to achieve your career goals, how to network when you're early in your career, and how to give feedback and why it's an important skill for HR professionals. Thanks again for listening to the future of HR and being part of our community.